So the passage that we looked at this morning, as, as you can see there, the, um, the gist of it is about this man, um, Simon, there in uh, the city of Samaria. And Simon is really a picture of, uh, you, you might say that he, he's really a picture of an unconverted convert. That's kind of a, 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 a contradiction, but we see with Simon that that can be uh, reality. And maybe you have uh, even known uh, somebody like that. I, I certainly have over the years. I've seen many people who have um, seemingly come to faith in Christ in as much as uh, they have, um, you know, perhaps responded to an invitation and gone forward uh, at uh, an altar call. Maybe they've, uh, you know, repeated the sinner's prayer. Uh, but yet, as you, as you watch, they don't really seem to have any uh, desire for spiritual things. They, they don't really have a desire to, to get plugged into the church. They don't really have much of an appetite for the word of God. Uh, you know, there's a bit of a reluctance to pray. Uh, they're happy that they're saved, but they kind of just want to get on with life as uh, usual. And, um, you know, when you, when you have a situation like that, you wonder like, well, well what is going on here? I, I've had many people say this to me over the years or something like this. Well, you know, so-and-so, my my friend or my relative, you know, you know, I know they're saved, but they just don't really walk with the Lord. So what is that? I mean, how, how are you saved and not really walking with the Lord? Is that even a possibility? Well, I, I think what we, you know, ought to probably for the most part understand about a situation like that is that we have there, um, like I said, an unconverted convert. And Simon, in the story here, he is exactly that. So he is a person who, although he's a little bit different in as much as he, he's attracted to what's happening, he has an interest in spiritual things. But as we look at the story, we see that his interests are all for the wrong reason. So he, he's not interested in these spiritual things because He's recognized he's a sinner in need of a savior and he's really you know, humbled himself before Christ and he's surrendered his life. That's not what's happening with Simon. Simon is very attracted to what's happening, but he's attracted because of the power. And he wants to get in on uh, this power here. So his interests are self-centered and motivated um, by, by his own ambition. Jesus for Simon is a means to an end. And listen, it, the, he's not the only one that has uh, approached the faith like that. Um, Simon, as well as others, have, have looked to Jesus to promote and, and to glorify themselves. Uh, so in the end, with Simon, for sure, and others as well, what you really have is a seeming conversion that was really no conversion at all. 
And so that's what we want to give our uh, attention to today. We want to look at the lessons that we can draw from the, the story here of Simon. But, but first, before we do that, there are two things that I want to just touch on really quickly. Number one is, let me remind you of, of the context where all of these events are happening. So we have this powerful move of God. Philip is preaching. We looked at that a little bit in the previous message. Uh, Philip is preaching there in Samaria, and, and God's Spirit is being poured out in a, in a very extraordinary way. And the thing that I want us to remember is that the places or even the people that we might be tempted to write off as hopeless could be the very place God might do a great work. So we can never forget that because God's always breaking uh, the mold. You know, he's always doing things just, you know, quite different than, than we would imagine. And so we see that in Samaria. You know, you, everybody understood the great work of God's spirit in Jerusalem. Of course, Jerusalem was the, the spiritual capital of the world, but Samaria, and that was a center of false religion and, and all kinds of things like the occult. Uh, we see that here with Simon, but it was a place that God was doing a great work. So just remember, that sometimes it's the, the least likely place or the least likely people that God is working among. But the, the second thing that I want us to look at real briefly is the situation here in verses 14 through 17, where um, you know Philip is preaching, many, many people are coming to put their faith and trust in Christ. And then it says that the apostles back in Jerusalem Uh, the leadership in Jerusalem sent Peter and John and they came down to pray for the Samaritan believers because it says um, up until this point, the spirit had not come upon them. So the apostles go down and they lay hands on them and pray for them and they receive the spirit. Now, this is um, a theological uh, conundrum for people. Because, you know, it's hard to understand. How is it that you have people that have believed in Jesus, people who have been baptized, people who are genuine believers, but yet somehow they haven't received the Spirit? Because um, everyone who truly believes in Jesus receives the Spirit. So some people, in trying to figure this out, have said, well, because this was a new phase with the gospel because it was going now from the Jews to the Samaritans. Um, There was just this one unique moment in all of history where people believed in Jesus, got baptized, but didn't get uh, indwelt by the Spirit. Somehow, you know, the the Spirit uh, didn't yet, you know, take up residence in them. They, they had to wait, and the way they see it is that the apostles came down, and they kind of gave their endorsement, and then the Spirit came in. Now, that is a theory that is held by many. Now, I personally don't think that that's the right understanding of the passage. And if you look at the passage, it doesn't say that they hadn't received the Spirit. It says that the Spirit had not yet come upon them. And so I think the answer is simply this. What, what's going on here is here are people who are genuine believers who, like every believer, you can't believe in Jesus in the truest sense and not be indwelt by the Spirit of God. That, that's what it is to be a believer. You're, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that, that's impossible. 
But what you can be is you can be a believer in Jesus and you can be indwelt by the Spirit, but the Spirit has not yet come upon you in power. And that's exactly what happened with the apostles themselves. If we go back in the story, we find that Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, this is recorded for us in John chapter 20, it says that Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was at that moment that they were indwelt by the Spirit. They, they were believers. They were Christians that, at that moment. But Jesus also told them, uh, before you go out and evangelize the world, like I'm calling you to do, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power that's going to come when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they, the, the additional thing the apostles experienced was the Spirit coming upon them. That's exactly, I think, what's happening in Samaria. So the Samaritans are genuine believers. They, they are indwelt by the Spirit, but the Spirit hasn't yet come upon them to empower them for um, you know, be, being a witness to the gospel. So the apostles come down and they lay hands on them and they then receive the Spirit, uh, not as uh, taking up residence in them, because that's already happened. They receive the Spirit upon them to now go forward in their service to God. So uh, I, I wanted to touch on that because if we skipped it, uh, it would not be helpful because as you go on in your Christian life, you're gonna meet uh, somebody at some time or you're gonna hear a teaching at some time uh, that's gonna address these things. And I think that this is the proper way to understand what's happening. So with that said, let's, jump back in and look here at uh, Simon, first of all. So here's this man, Simon. And in verses 9 through 13, we're told about him. There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So notice as we look at Simon, number one, he practiced sorcery. This guy was a bona fide, like a, how would we understand? He's like a warlock. He's a, he's a guy who has genuine uh, spiritual power. Now the spiritual power he has is not the power of God, even though he had deceived the people into thinking that was the power of God, uh, this guy was empowered by demonic forces. So there's no dispute about whether he had the power. He definitely had the power. Um, so he would be um, a, a person who pr practiced witchcraft, basically, and uh, trafficked with demons and, and received... Uh, supernatural powers from the demonic world. It says about him that he claimed that he was someone great. So we see that he was um, not a humble guy at all. He was very uh, arrogant, claimed himself that, that he was someone great. But then he, he had this supernatural power that sort of supported his claim. And so it says about the people of Samaria that he had... Uh, put them under his spell. 
So that's the picture here. Now, not like he you know, literally cast a spell upon them. Maybe he did. But it was through these uh, demonic powers that, that he exercised supernatural things, and this brought the people under his authority. So that's the condition. So Philip, remember, Philip comes to town, and like we pointed out previously, Philip comes preaching the gospel. He comes with a, a clear message, a powerful message, a message that is uh, very succinct and articulate, and he's calling people to come to Christ. And not only is he preaching powerfully, but along with his preaching, there are miraculous powers being exercised through Philip. And so the people who had previously been under the authority of Simon, they say, we, we, we want Jesus. We, we want to follow this Jesus that Philip is preaching. So these people are, are getting converted. Now, here's the thing. Simon, he also comes along. So Simon, we read here about him that he did as well uh, respond to that. When they believed, verse 12, Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Verse 13, then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which he did. So the, the local... Uh, leader of, of the occult in the community, uh, the, the warlock, if you will, this guy appears now to be saved. He listens to Philip. He sees the, the miraculous power and, you know, he raises his hand. So I, I want to say the sinner's prayer. I mean, they didn't say the sinner's prayer back then, but that, you know, that would have been what it was like. And then when there was the call for baptism, Simon he went forward and he submitted himself to baptism. And so it's, it's pretty amazing when you think about it, what they must have thought in the city of Samaria at the time. There was obviously all kinds of excitement at what was happening, but man, can you believe it? The guy who's, you know, the leader of the occult in the community, he's now a Christian. He's, he's one of us. And that kind of news would bring excitement to any of us, Right. You know, we hear the story about some notorious sinner or some, you know, famous person or especially somebody who maybe was the, you know, the leader of a false religion. We, we hear the story of somebody like that coming to Christ. Man, that's exciting. That, wow, that is so great. And so that would have been the, um, the vibe. Uh, among the people at the time. There would have been a great excitement about Simon's conversion. But the problem is he wasn't really converted, even though it seemed like it. Yet, as we go on in the story, we find that there are problems with Simon. So verses 18 through 24, we read this. So when Simon, when he saw, well, the, the apostles back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, uh, they came down, they prayed uh, for the people that they might be empowered by the Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, and, and then um, they laid hands on them. And when they did this and the Spirit was imparted, Simon saw that, and he then 
offered them money. So basically, Simon says to Peter, he says, sell me this power so that I too can do this. Now remember, he previously had power, but he's impressed by Philip's power. Philip's power is greater than his power. And now he's like, how can I get this power? And so he thinks that he can purchase it. Sell me this power, he says to Peter, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But listen, verse 20, Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. And so Peter discerns that things aren't right with Simon. And and of course, the dead giveaway was, let me buy this power. So, so Peter recognized immediately that even though he had gone through all of these outward uh, signs of conversion, that, that really his heart was not changed. And he was still seeking his own glory. He was still looking to have uh, power over other people. And Peter said that it was all due to the fact that his heart was not right in the sight of God. He was poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And the bitterness was probably uh, a bitterness inside of him due to the fact that he had lost his position of prominence in the city. So now he's envious, he's, he's bitter. He was the great power of God in the city and now he's not. So Peter discerns his heart. Peter says, you're, you're, you're uh, poisoned by bitterness and you're bound by unrighteousness. And then he says to Simon, repent. Now this is important because I think it's good for us to realize that even a guy like this, who is an you know, not, he's not genuinely converted, as we're going to see in a second. He, you know, his motives are all wrong in coming to Jesus. But yet, I think a thing that's interesting, and it's, it's good because it's hopeful, uh, Peter doesn't say, all right, that's it. Sorry, you know, you had your one chance, and now your history. Uh, Peter calls him to repent. And he says that, you know, if, if he can repent, God can forgive him of this evil. And Simon's response then is pray for me. Now, we don't know what happened in relation to Simon. There's no other references to him scripturally. Now, if you read church history, there's all kinds of uh, wild stories about what happened with Simon. Simon is known in church history as Simon Magus, which means Simon the magician. And as you read in some of the early church writers, they have him from this point on, he becomes like the nemesis of Peter, follows Peter wherever he goes and always trying to uh, you know, upset what Peter's doing in his ministry. And, 
You know, some people have him as the founder of Gnosticism and all of that. All of that, I think, is just legend. It's myth. I don't think it's a reality. We don't know what happened to him. Uh, hopefully, he repented like Peter exhorted him to do, um, but we just don't know. Now, what we want to get to here now is what, what is the application of this for us? What do we... What do we learn from this story? And there are three things that I want us to see. Number one, it is possible to have an outward religious experience, but your heart remains bound in sin. That is a very real possibility. And we we see it with Simon, but Simon's not the only one that we see it with. Jesus said to the Pharisees in his day, he says, regarding them, he, he actually said to them, he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So it's entirely possible to have an outward facade of being a true believer. But the fact of the matter is the, the heart is disengaged from a, a real relationship with God. And <coughs> all of us have to be aware that that, that is a possibility. Now, I have to confess that th- when I think about that, that's, that's rather frightening. You know, it causes us to have to stop and just sort of make sure, like, you know, what is, is my faith genuine? It, it, is my relationship with the Lord real? Or am I just going through some religious uh, motion here, but, but there's no corresponding reality in my heart? That's the thing. Remember what Peter said. He said, your heart is not right in the sight of God. And it's the heart that God is primarily interested in. Man looks on the outward appearance, the Bible tells us, but God looks at the heart. And what true Christianity is, is it's a change of the heart. The heart changes and then outwardly transformation takes place. But like I said, you can go through the religious motions. You can you know, respond to an invitation. You can say a prayer. You can even get baptized, but that doesn't necessarily, although it certainly can, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that there's a salvation. The, the question really comes down to the heart. So that's number one. That is a, a real possibility. Secondly, what we see with Simon is that he's seeking to use Jesus to fulfill or to promote his own agenda. That's really what's happening here. And Simon's not the only person who has done this, as I have said. Um, many others have sought to uh, use Jesus to promote or, and fulfill uh, their own agenda. But any attempt to do that is doomed to failure because Jesus will not be co-opted into our plans. You see, it doesn't work that way, although people think it does. Many people have, have thought to you know, bring Jesus on board so he could help them uh, get their agenda accomplished. And I, I have to say that I have seen this so many times over the years. I can't even count the number of times I've seen people try to do this. I, I've seen it quite often in a situation like this, say uh, an abusive husband who is finally, because of his abuse, his, his wife has just said, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of here. And, uh, you know, she's 
prayed for him and preached to him. And, you know, he's been in and out of church and supposedly a Christian, but, you know, just basically just a, a really bad guy. Uh, but then finally, you know, she's, she's done. I'm, she's out. So the next thing you know, he shows up at the church and he's like, man, oh, you know, I just need Jesus and I want Jesus so bad. And, and what he's really saying is, I really want my wife back and hopefully Jesus can help me get her back. And I, I have, on many occasions, I've just looked you know, a person like that in the eye and said, listen, let's just take your wife out of the picture here right now because she might never come back. You've been such a fool. You've been such an idiot. I mean, who could blame her? So she might never come back. So if, if you're here to just try to get your wife back, we might as well just end the conversation right now. What the real issue is, you need to get right with Jesus. And if, if your marriage never is healed, that's not the point. The point is you're not right with God. Now, of course, if you get right with God, there increases the possibility that at some point, you know, your wife might see that there's a genuine conversion and she might have her heart softened and she might, you know, decide to take you back. But I, I tell that because I have seen that over and over again. Or you see sometimes a person, maybe a businessman or woman, and, you know, they're going to uh, co-op Jesus uh, as a business partner. And, you know, because if you bring Jesus on board, he's going to help us uh, with our business. We're going to be successful. Now, of course, as a Christian, you certainly want to bring Jesus on board with everything you're doing. But we're talking about something where uh, the motivation is really a selfish motive. And, and people are just thinking that Jesus is going to help them, again, promote their own thing. Uh, sometimes athletes, uh, you know, many, many times an athlete has a, um, you know, Jesus is almost a good luck charm, you know, so we're going to bring Jesus on the team and, you know, hopefully we can win the championship. And uh, that probably has nothing to do with what's happening today, but, uh, you know, you never know. <laughs> but people are like this. This is the way, this is the way we are. Uh, my, my really good friend, uh, Joey Baran, some of you know Joey, some of you have heard him on the radio. Uh, Joey was uh, a professional surfer and uh, former uh, uh, winner of the, of the Pipeline Masters uh, surf contest. Back in 1984, Joey won the Pipe Masters contest, a very prestigious uh, surfing contest. And um, but he, he told me many, many years ago that before... He won the Pipe Masters in 84, and he, he was telling me about a, a person that we knew. He said, yeah, so-and-so in 1982, he told me if I really wanted to win the pipe, I needed to you know, get Jesus on my side because Jesus would help me to win. And he said, uh, I completely bought into it. It's like, hey, what do I got to do? Like wear a crucifix or you know, how do I get Jesus on my team so I can win the Pipe Masters? And you know, he obviously figured out at a certain point that that wasn't really the way it works. But people think that way. That's just the way Simon thought as well. And yet it doesn't work that way. In the Gospel of John, at the very end of the second chapter, it says this, and it might be a bit shocking to you, but listen, it says this. It said, uh, when they saw the miracles, this is talking about the people, when they saw the miracles that Jesus performed, it says that many believed in him. 
when they saw the signs, which he did. But listen, it says, but Jesus did not believe in them. That's the literal translation. English says Jesus did not commit himself to them, but it's really Jesus did not believe in them. Why? It says because he knew all people and he knew what was in them. In other words, he knew that their interest in him was based upon what he could do for them. So Jesus is great. He performs miracles. We can, we can have a miracle. So they didn't want him. They wanted the things they could get from him. And this is a real issue and a real uh, problem within the church. There are people that want what they can get from Jesus. They don't want Jesus. And sometimes, unfortunately, ministries create an atmosphere uh, for that kind of problem to be even more uh, pronounced because that's, that's kind of the way they, they present the, the whole message of Jesus. It's like, you know, Jesus is gonna do all of these things for you, so come to Jesus so you can get all of these things done. Now listen, yes, Jesus is gonna do things for us. The main thing he's gonna do for us is forgive our sins and deliver us from eternal damnation. And of course, he's, he's gonna save us and he's gonna bless us uh, spiritually, but there's no guarantee in coming to Jesus that, you know, suddenly I'm gonna, I'm poor and now I'm gonna be rich, but sometimes that's how it's presented. You know, come to Jesus and he'll make you rich. Or I'm sick and I'm gonna be healthy. Come to Jesus and, you know, he'll make you healthy. Or I'm uh, a, a criminal and I'm going before the judge and now that I'm a Christian, the judge is just gonna throw my case out and everything's gonna be fine. No, you might very well be going to prison. Jesus will go with you, but you're gonna go. <laughs> but that story oftentimes is not told. And that's the truth of the matter. So we have to be very, very clear. Now, of course, Philip was clear in his message. The problem was not with Philip's message. The problem was with Simon's heart. Simon was about himself and about his kingdom, not about the kingdom of Christ. And the thing that we need to finally know clearly is that we come to Jesus on his terms, not ours. That's how we come to Jesus, truly. If we, if we, if we try to come on our terms, then we don't come. We don't come in the sense like, like we read there in John. They believed in Jesus, but they were coming on their terms. Jesus didn't believe on them because they weren't meeting his terms. So what are the terms that I come to Jesus on? Well, I come to Jesus on the terms that I need his mercy and I need his forgiveness of my sins. That's what I'm coming to him for. And I'm coming to him on the terms of humbly submitting myself to him so that his plan and his purpose can now be worked out in my life versus I'm coming to him so that he can help me get my agenda accomplished. So again, what we need to know is that Jesus just, he simply will not be co-opted. He won't. I mean, he, he, he's God. And so, you know, we might be able to manipulate people. We might be able to uh, use people 
you know, we seem like we're sincere, but we're actually using them to benefit ourselves. We can do that with people, but we can't do that with the Lord because he simply won't cooperate. He's God. And so he calls us to come to him on the basis of our need for a savior because we are sinners. And that is unfortunately, at least uh, as far as we know, that was the, the mistake that Simon made. Simon was impressed, but he wasn't impressed with his own sin and his own need for a savior. He was impressed with the power and he thought maybe he could get that power for himself. And so we have to, all of us, like I said, it's, it's a sobering kind of a thing to even think about this, but all of us, we have to at times just stop and you know, evaluate where we're at. Now, now let me say that you know, even as a Christian, I can certainly have times where uh, my motives are all mixed and messed up. Doesn't mean I'm not, I'm not a Christian. Just means that I got to deal with with my motives. So, so I don't want to give the impression that uh, you know, if anybody's ever had a mixed motive, that well, that means that you're not really saved. Uh, <coughs> I had a, a young lady in a young man come back uh, for prayer after the previous service. And she said to me, she said, you know, I, sometimes I kind of fall into that Simon thing that you're talking about. And I, I really wanted to make sure she understood that that doesn't mean you're not a Christian because we can all fall into that. But there's a difference between falling into it and just that's where we are. That's where we live. We can all have moments where we, uh, we lose sight of what, of what, you know, reality is. We lose sight that Jesus is the Lord and he's not there to serve me, but I'm here to serve him. We, we can all have those moments and, and God will deal with us and he'll, you know, convict us and he'll cause us to come to our senses and we realize. But when we're in danger is when that's just where we are. We are entrenched in that. And we have the outward appearance of being a believer, but we even know that deep in our hearts that we're driven primarily by selfish ambition. We're driven mainly by uh, seeking our own agenda and our own glory. And that's the kind of stuff that needs to be dealt with. That's the, that, that's the kind of stuff that needs to be repented of. Because uh, Simon, again, at the end of the day, because we don't know what finally happened, we'd have to look at him as the unconverted convert. So he looks like a convert, but he's not really converted because conversion means a change of heart. Peter says, your heart is not right in the sight of God. That was the problem. So the question that we have to address today is our heart right in the sight of God. Are we just going through these motions? Are we uh, pretending because we're, we're, we're looking for some kind of personal advantage through this uh, religious thing that I'm doing, but, but my heart's never really been changed. 
thank God he's continually gracious. And even if that's where we are, and even if we've been there maybe for a long time, uh, God's still merciful and he gives us the opportunity to get that right. But let's not miss that opportunity today. And because as I mentioned earlier, I've seen many, many times uh, throughout many years, I've seen this kind of thing over and over again. I don't want to assume that that's not maybe happening with somebody here today. I would love to assume that no way, there's nothing like that among us. But the truth of the matter is there very well could be. So if this is resonating with you, as uncomfortable as it might be, I mean, you know, it's really an uncomfortable thing to have to come to grips with where you're really at sometimes. But you know, God only shows us these things so he can in turn bless us. God wounds us so he can heal us. God knocks us down, but then he picks us back up. And that's sometimes what a message like this does. It hits us right between the eyes because we realize, man, that's me. But the good news is that there's mercy and there's grace. And God's desire, like Peter said to Simon, is repent, change, get it right, be sincere, forget your agenda. It doesn't matter. Just yield yourself unreservedly to Christ and get on board with his plan because that's the best plan and that's the plan that's gonna go on forever. So Lord, help us. Lord, first of all, I would just pray for myself and for us as, as believers that, Lord, our motives would be pure. And if we have any other agenda than your agenda, Lord, we would just repent of that. And, and get on board with your plan and purpose. But Lord, I also wanna pray for anyone that might be with us today that they, in listening, they, they've realized that they're more like Simon than they've maybe recognized before. And Lord, they need to get right with you. Their heart is not right in the sight of God. And I pray today that you would pierce through that. And I pray that you would bring them to that place, Lord, that they might enter in and know not just an outward uh, religious kind of a thing, but Lord, that they would know the deep love and goodness of you, the Savior. So work in hearts today. Lord, thank you that you're always looking to turn people away from sin and self and to yourself. Thank you that your spirit draws us to receive mercy and forgiveness and help those today who need to repent. Help them to do that, I pray in Jesus' name.